0: We did that. We're getting there. Here we go. Uh, Y'all know a couple weeks ago we had our annual church elections and uh, the new church board was elected. And I appreciate you all taking part in that. And um, as they gathered people, our church board is not just the church board, right? They serve in a lot of areas around this church. So I'm having some guys gather around and gather the church board up. I want you guys to know who that church board is and I want you to pray for them. So if you are on the church board, I would ask you to stand this morning. Stand right where you are. Just stand up. There you go. There you go. There you go. There's a few in the back there. And there's, Trank, you're already standing. Thank you. (laughs) Um, But this church, look around a little bit. This is your leadership team. And uh, they will be the church board until uh, next election, next year. So remember to pray for this board. I'm going to do that here in a moment as a family. But remember to pray for this board as we make decisions throughout 2022-23 in the church year. But these are the people that we will be meeting monthly, probably um, most months. You know, the last couple of years, it's really been something. I mean, we've met in different, different places, different rooms, different over Zoom, and we've had to do so much over the last couple of years. But I pray that we will be meeting in the uh, in this in this church for regularly monthly. But uh, these are the ones that make the decisions. And um, Pam and Sharon, would you also stand? Um, These are our church treasurers. Uh, We have two, in case you didn't know. We have two. One's accounts payable, one's accounts receivable. And it works really good that way. And uh, we encourage every church on the district to do that. Some don't have those resources. But we want to pray for you as well. So stay standing. And if you would join me, church, in praying for our leadership for this year. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you once again, Lord. and As your word says, we enter your courts with thanksgiving. So every time that we bow before you in prayer, Lord, be thankful. And Lord, we lift up these church board members as as they have accepted the call, really, your calling, to not only serve in the church in all of their capacities, but to be part of the leadership team here at GSN, Lord. And I thank you for each person who was willing. And Lord, we know they're qualified and able And I pray, Lord, your wisdom would descend upon them and that your Holy Spirit would fill them in every leadership decision that we have to make together. I pray, Lord, that your spirit would go before all of that, that your provenient grace would go before every decision, every meeting, every gathering that we have as a leadership team. And might we all, Lord, as it's been for the last several years, just have this spirit of cooperation and, and moving forward, Lord, wanting to advance the kingdom work that you do through this local body. Father, with everything that's in me, you know that I see it in the, in the scriptures and I know in my spirit that the local church is the hope of the entire world. That things change, things happen on this grassroots local level. That, Lord, individual lives, people, people are changed. People are secure for eternity. The lost are found because, Lord, of the, of the things that happen through the Spirit in the local church. And I pray, Lord, You would use us as a leadership team this year to accomplish that very, very thing. That every decision that's made, be it, be it logistical, financial, whatever it is, God... Everything that we do, all of the decisions that are made, would help that end goal of, of coming alongside, with the Spirit's help, coming alongside your work here at General Shepherd. Father, empower us all. I thank you for each of these individuals this morning. God, would you give us the strength, the knowledge, the discernment, and the wisdom to make these decisions and move, move your kingdom forward with your help here at General Shepherd this year. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you board members and everyone that allowed their name to be run and your willingness to serve for another year. I appreciate that. Well, we're in this new series that we took a break from on Mother's Day. Didn't y'all appreciate the Stevens family? What a wonderful family. I got to spend some time with them after the sh- the concert and, and and beforehand and talking with them and 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 what a what a wonderful wonderful family they are ministering and traveling these great highways and byways with their their uh, their family and ministering to churches all over the place different denominations and different groups of people and and, and rich you know, uh, rich stevens the singer and keyboard player we were he's a he's a, he's a graduate of of bible college and very very knowledgeable and we we were able to swap some war stories along the way and it was pretty entertaining but uh, follow them online and, and uh, see where they're going to be next. Maybe you can catch them at a, at a church nearby sometime soon. But now we're back into this series called Called. It's called Called. It's called Called. And I firmly believe that God himself is going to speak to our hearts through this message. And these messages during this series Called. Called. And today I want to speak a little bit this morning. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 3. And it's a familiar passage uh, to most of us who are church people. If you've been around church for a little while, you'll you'll be very familiar with Philippians. Um, But if you've never been to this text before in the book of Philippians uh, chapter 3, welcome to the text. It's going to be, uh, and I think it's going to be eye-opening and amazing. And God will always speak new truths through His Word if you will open your hearts and your minds to those truths. And so I pray that God would speak here this morning and that you would see something in this Scripture that the Holy Spirit has shown you. Not that I've said, not words that I've spoken, nothing you see on the screen, but that the Holy Spirit of God Himself will reach into your heart and will speak to you and you will, the light bulb will go off and you'll hear something from God this morning. And I believe these words in Philippians, familiar, I know, familiar passage, but I believe these words will be a blessing to you. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10, if you have it, say woohoo! I love you guys are great. Philippians chapter 3, it'll be on the screen as well. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Philippi. And uh, powerful, powerful words. He says, that, that I may know him, that I may know Christ, and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained this, or am already perfect. Anybody grateful this morning that God doesn't use perfect people? Any, any, anybody grateful that perfect people don't even exist? If you think you're perfect, you're in the wrong church. And honestly, if you think you're perfect, you're in the wrong faith. You know, this one isn't for you. If you think you're a perfect person, this faith, is Christianity is not for you. There might be a cult out there for you, but this isn't it. Good morning. Good to see you. He says this, But I press on to make it my own. To make it my own. Because Christ Jesus has made me His own. He says, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, Paul says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward... Everybody say call. Call... Of God in Christ Jesus. This morning I want to talk to you for a few moments about this simple thought. Following Jesus. If in fact there is a call. Let's back up. The upward call of God in Christ Jesus. If, if we are in fact called. Not if God called you and you look down and you look at your phone and it said God who would like lose their lunch? Who would be like... Now this is a serious question if you think about it. If you... And you look down at your phone and it says God. How you react to that says a lot about your faith. It does. There are some people who would look at that and oh, Look, God's calling me. And you would answer right away. You know, there's a few little buttons on, on an iPhone, and but I imagine some other sinful phones. But the iPhone has two other. <laughs> there's a there's a remind me, and there's a message button on there. So if God was to, if that was to appear on your phone, what button would you push? What button would you hit? Would you go answer? Yes. Hey, God, it's God calling. Because you're right with God. You're at peace with your relationship with your Lord. And, and no matter what He's going to call, you're going to answer. Hey, God's calling. Hey, God, what's up? What are we doing now? Speak to me, Lord. Would you hit the decline button? You have your phone going off and you look at your phone and you're like, I, I just can't. I mean, huh. Would it be that, that little red button right there? That's, that's what I call the fear button. I, I can't. I, I just can't. And you hit the red button. And you turn off God's call. There's two other little buttons on that holy phone. It says, remind me. Remind me. Like, okay, God, yes, I hear you calling. I hear you. I hear the upward call of God, as the scripture says. But not, not right now remind me i know you called and i can't i can't really get to you right now god so remind me remind me that you did call at one time remind me and then the other button is a message well when i have to hit that button that says message it just means i'm busy i'm too busy for whoever's calling and so when that goes off and you see god on there and you look at that little message button do you do you kind of think well god I hear you calling, and I want to engage. I don't want to just hit decline. I want to engage with you, God. I hear you calling, but I'm, I'm real busy right now, and this isn't a good time. Sometimes you feel that call of God, maybe not physically on your phone, but you feel that when you're in a situation that may not be God's best for your life. And you hear God reminding you, hey, Hey, I'm calling you. I'm speaking to you. And 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 go into metaphoric, metaphor mode right now. And you look at the phone and God is calling and you're faced with a decision to make. And you can either either follow the holy, right, godly decision. Or you can follow your own path and you have that decision to make. What button do you push? When you're in the moment and God is speaking to you and you're looking at your phone and He's saying... I'm, I'm I'm asking you. I'm calling you. I'm speaking to you. You may hit that message button and says, "Well, God, I I can't talk right now. Not right now, God. I want to speak to you this morning about following Jesus." Many people have put their faith in Christ. And many people have have walked with God for a certain number of months or even years. And you're like, okay God, I've never really taken that next step. I've never really gone that next step. And you're like, okay God, here I am. What's next? What's my next step? In fact, our mission statement, our new mission statement as of last year, is just that. It's helping people take their next step toward Jesus, and that's what we want to do here. Helping people take that next step, and many of you have taken great next steps. You know, you say, yes, I'm, I'm going to church on a regular basis. I'm starting to serve. I'm being water baptized. I'm beginning this new walk, this new walk and trotting with God. I'm walking along, and this morning I really want to help you, and I believe it's going to bring a lot of strength to your soul But what I want to say right up front is what I'm going to share with you this morning is not religious theory or theological theory that is learned in a book somewhere. Uh, This is life. This is my life. This is life right here. And I promise you that I've seen God's transforming work in my own life and in the lives of others, and He will transform your life if you open your heart to Him in Jesus' name. I'll take another minute for an amen. Thank you. I'm not ashamed of asking for an amen. I told you that before. But, but this idea of calling, that's oh, preview. I want to teach you, first of all, this morning, the difference between religion... And relationship. So religion, the idea of religion, and some people still refer to their Christian walk as of them being religious. And people would always tell me if they hear you talk about God, you've heard it. They hear you talk about God or maybe a Christian song comes on. You're like, I love this song. And they're like, well, I'm, I've never been really religious. Right? They kinda, that's like a catch-all sort of big basket religious or they'll, they'll say, oh, the, the religious folk over there, you know, or the, you know about people that have been religious throughout their lives. And I want to talk to you about the idea of religion and the concept of religion. See, religion, historically, is our attempt to get to God. It's our efforts, it's our religion. It's what can we come up with? It's our attempt to get to God. And religion really is a burden. Religion, our attempt to get to God, is a burden. Because religion in and of itself, and hear me through all of this. I'm going somewhere, so just bear with me through this religion stuff. Religion has no power in and of itself to save or transform the soul. So what ends up happening in this idea of religion is that we do what we want to do, and we live how we want to live, or at least we know what we want to do and what we want to, how we want to live, then, then there's this sort of God figure, far off, in the sky, sort of, you know, watching, looking at us, watching our lives. Sub religions will actually say that, you know, like it gives you that idea that God's just waiting to get you, right? You've got to do this and do this and do this, and if you don't, mm, he's, he's, it's this idea of us doing and living life, but God is sort of up there and far away. So God becomes a burden to us. Always afraid of what He's going to think of us. Always concerned with, am I going to screw this up? I had someone come to me not too long ago and say, you know what, I I believe in Jesus. I know that the Lord saves me. But I just don't want to get left out of heaven on a technicality. That's religion. That's religion. Somehow that God is waiting or watching your life and your decisions that you make. Waiting. So God and religion becomes a burden because we haven't been transformed. So we, we know what we want to do and we do what we do and it's like, well, uh, religious says, you know, I, I, I guess we'll go to church today. I, I really want to be out golfing, right? But I guess I better go to church. You know, with the family. Or you know what? I'd really, I'd really rather be out on the stream somewhere. But I... I, I, I'd rather be fishing, I'd rather be out there, you know, and it's early and it's the, the morning dew and all of that. I'd really, but, you know, the, the wife's wanting to go to church. All right, you know, because God. I guess we better go. Or some might say, and I'll relate this to everybody, I'll try to. Some might, might say, you know, that early sale, I'd like to get out there. Some would rather be shopping. Some would rather be out there beating the crowds and, yeah, you know, but I guess we'll go to church. Well, because God, I guess we'll go to church. He's watching, so I'm sure I'm going to have to schlep the whole family. Come on. Here, you know, come on, let's go, Johnny. We're going to church. That's trash. That's garbage. What an awful way to live. So God becomes a burden, I guess. God becomes this burden. That's religion. Now, relationship is a blessing. And by the way, I, I, I enjoy getting out on the golf course once in a while. I enjoy fishing. And I know some of you enjoy and love shopping. And my point is that none of those things are inherently sinful. My point is my relationship with Christ is not a burden. It's a blessing. And here's why. Because He's actually transformed my soul. So Jesus changes the want to. It's not a burden anymore. I don't have to, or suppose I will. I actually want to, or get to. It's it's, it's the transforming work of Jesus Christ in your life relationship. We sang that song a little earlier that says, there's power that can break off every chain. There's power that can empty out a grave. There's resurrection power that can save. There's power in your name. We sang that. The song, it talks about resurrection power. And that's what we believe in. Not that God is simply making us better, but that He actually makes us new. We are alive in God. And this is the journey of following God. It's a blessing. It's not a burden. And it's not only a blessing to my soul, it's a blessing to my life, to my future, to my family. It's a blessing. And I've never met someone, actually never met someone who served God their whole life and at the end of their life, their life they went, "Nah, it's a big waste of time." Never. People who really know Jesus, not religion, people who really know Jesus, as Paul was saying, to know him. We're going to get into that in a minute. People who really know Jesus, really love Jesus. Because to know God is to love God. The scripture tells us that. So my first point this morning is, God can be known. In verse 10, that I may know him, the scripture says. I want to know him, Paul said. And Paul declares this even though he's been serving Jesus for decades. Decades. Paul is actually writing this, again, under house arrest in prison, penning these words, that I want to know Christ. Although he's in jail for knowing Christ, Paul says, I I, I need to know him. I need to know Him. So how can Paul say this? Well, Paul can say this because God is so high and so wide and so deep. He's the everlasting God, the Alpha, the Omega. He never began. He never ends. He just is. There's this countless well that we can drink of in the knowledge of God. So Paul doesn't see this as something he's already attained. He wants to know Him. Even more, if I could add a couple of words to what Paul has said. He wants to know Him even more. And it's not just head knowledge, because head knowledge is religion. I know about God. I know enough about God to where I think I, He's watching me or something, this religion mindset. Let me tell you this, you could have the whole Bible memorized and still declare I may know him, that I want to know him. Because I'm not talking about knowing about God. And frankly, you could have the whole Bible memorized and not know him. Head knowledge. I'm talking not about knowing about God. I'm talking about that. Now, we know people, right? We 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 know stuff. We're Americans, right? If you're American, raise your hand. No, don't raise your hand. We're Americans, though. We know stuff about people. You know, we know stuff about people on such an intimate level of people we'll never know. So we know about a lot of things. We know about a lot of people. You may have watched every single episode of Friends. You may have watched every one. They play on every night. You may have watched every single episode. You know about all six friends, and you know about their characters, and you can watch that, and you go, yep, typical Joey, Alright, you can watch it and you know that because you know a little bit about their character. You know them, you know this, oh yeah, boy, yeah, can I be wearing any more clothes like that, right? You think you know, well, these people, and yet if you ever saw Jennifer Aniston on the street, you'd run up to her and go, oh, Jen, 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 and then her security would whisk you away. Because you feel like you know people. You, feel, you follow them online. You follow their social. You feel like you know them. But what you know is a lot about them. You don't really know them. And I'm I, sorry. I know it's a total bummer to some of you. You're like, I, I feel like I really do know. <laughs> like Chloe and Kim could come to my party. Like, you, no, you don't know them. You don't know them. You know about them. We say things like, You know, we watched the Penguins win a game. Anybody going to watch tonight? Game seven in the playoffs. Look, y'all are like, who? There's a hockey team in Pittsburgh called the Penguins. But we say things like, we won. We won. How are we going to do this year? You know, the the, the Steelers, hey, man, how are we going to do? Are we going to finish good this year? Hey, we won the game. You know, yeah, okay, right. I mean, you bought the jersey, right? So that's we. (laughs) You see your favorite football player, maybe somewhere, and you see, you go, hey, you know what? We're going to have a great season, right? And they're going, yeah, sure, yeah, we, uh, hmm." So what we do is we know a lot about people, but we don't really know them. And if we're not careful, we bring that right into church. We end up knowing about Jesus. We become what one author, Kyle Eidelman, said, we become a fan, but not really a follower. We're a fan. We know about them. We know about Jesus. We're not really a follower. So we end up knowing a lot about. We know some verses, and we know some songs. You know, and our favorite Christian, Mav Mav City comes to town, and we go see Maverick City. We go see our maybe our favorite preacher comes through, and we go see our favorite preacher, and we stream, and we take in a lot of content. And we end up knowing a lot about them, but we don't really know them intimately. And the invitation of heaven is intimacy, not knowledge. It's intimacy. Listen, I know everything there is to know about this beautiful woman sitting here on the second to front row. No one sits in the front row. You guys are bold. So are you. My wife plays... plays, uh, she throws, looks at me like, don't say that. And I get that, thank you. But I know everything about, I know everything about Brenda. Everything. I know her favorite color, I know about her. I mean, after 25 plus years of marriage, and even dating her before that, you know, I, I asked her yesterday, we, I have actually been with my wife longer than I've been without her. Anybody else in the room? Been with their spouse longer than you've been without them. It's been a long time, but just because I have knowledge... It doesn't equal intimacy. Because after 25 years of marriage, and I'm speaking to everybody this morning, you know, you, you can have a lot of knowledge about your spouse. And you, things can still get cold, and you can know everything about them. You could grill their favorite food. You could bring them their favorite coffee. And you can, you can fix all the things around the house. And you can do everything they want you to do and still not have intimacy. Because knowledge is good, but knowledge is not the end. Intimacy in here. Intimacy is the end. And so what what Paul is calling us into is to know Christ. And literally in the Greek language, to know Christ, it means to learn to know. See, that's a good marriage when you're still learning, right? Husband, say amen, right? You're still dating, you're still pursuing, you're still risking, you're still... I embarrass my kids all the time. All the time. Husbands, embarrass your kids. That's all I'm going to say about that. But it's, it's fun. It's fun, not only for me and my wife, of course. She's blessed with 25 years of this chiseled rock. But, she's, but we, we embarrass our children constantly. Because there's still intimacy. There's still learning it's not like it's not like you you know, oh well, you know, I told you I love you. You know I love you. Yeah, he knows I love him. No, show it. I'm still learning, you're still a student. It's to know and to be known, this continual learning and to be known, it's to understand and an understanding of, this, of, of Jesus an understanding of who he is, that I may know him, comes from understanding and growth and reading God's word. And and I get that understanding comes from God's Word, but intimacy grows in obedience. Intimacy grows in obedience. And so Paul says, two things happen when I know Christ. He says, I experience the fellowship of His sufferings and the resurrection of knowing Christ. Now don't be nervous when I say these things, because knowing Christ leads to suffrage and resurrection. Most Americans never really experience either one. The fellowship of His sufferings. Look in the Scriptures. And let me just say this about suffering. God will not put on you what He Himself took upon the cross. Hear me on this. Because it's the fellowship of His sufferings. Okay? I don't think everybody caught that, so I'll say it again. God will not put on on us what He Himself took on the the cross. He took on sickness. By His stripes we are healed. He took on sin. He became a curse for us on the cross. So He doesn't put those on us. In other words, you can't say, I'm struggling with addiction, but I think God's allowing the addiction in my life. No, no, He's not. God does not allow that thing to happen. God does not give you that. God didn't give you that addiction so that you could struggle through something and be better on the other side. All right? God doesn't give you these things. You wouldn't give your kid these things, and that's what the Bible says. So when we talk about the fellowship of his suffering, we're talking about just that his with a capital H. The fellowship of his. What was his suffering? His suffering on the cross was rejection, it was misunderstanding. It was persecution. It was trusting in God's will when He wanted His will. It was the suffering of Christ on the cross. Here's my point. When you really know Jesus, we want to know Him, you will enter into the fellowship of His suffering. There will be some misunderstanding from those closest to you when you follow Jesus and want to know Him. There will be persecution. You know, people will tell you, they'll just get the little digs in there. Just the little, the little digs. Oh, you're going to church? Like on Sunday? Yeah. Like you always go to church. Like, why are you always at church? Can't you just skip church? A bunch of us are going out. You don't have to go. I mean, Can't you just skip? Why are you always there? You're on vacation. I mean, why do you want to go to church? Why do you want to go to a church while you're on vacation? Here's one. Persecution and misunderstanding? Things that his suffering? You tithe? How much do you give to your church? Ten percent? More than ten percent? You start at ten percent. Well, ten percent of a hundred dollars is okay. But some of you get a little further on in life, and 10% of a little bit more than that, that's a big deal. What do you mean, you... 10%? What do they do with all that money? What do they do with all that money? What do they do with all that money? The church just wants your money. Go to the country club today and tell me the church just wants... The church wants your money. Go to a movie today and spend $20 on popcorn and come back and tell me that the church just wants your money. The church doesn't want your money. But you will be misunderstood if you're really going to know Christ. You're serving? What is serving? You serve at church? What do you do? Like on a Sunday you serve? Like do they pay you? Like a... You serve? Vol- volunteer. Every week. You like just hold kids. You say, no, it's more than holding kids. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm ministering to the next generation. You're holding kids. You're flinging goldfish on the ground and, and watching the kids. You serve? You're like, yeah, I'm, I'm investing in the next generation. See, most, most, here's the thing most Americans in American church and American society, right? They will never experience resurrection power, and we're getting to that, because they're not willing to enter into his suffering and have a little persecution and have a little misunderstanding what he went through on the cross, his suffering. So, so they leave the faith after a couple years and go, you know what, I never really experienced God, and never really felt God, never really heard from God, and I think it was just all emotion, and maybe the preacher preached to some emotionally moving thing, and I never really, no, 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 you didn't experience the resurrection power, because you weren't willing to, do you know how many people, do you know how many people in churches all across this great community of ours, and some of, some of even here, who never really felt God, and never really heard God, There are many people who aren't willing to go through a couple things to experience resurrection power because that's what the scripture says we're getting there, I promise. People in this room won't experience won't go through water baptism for all kinds of reasons. Well, some people they'll call you a fanatic. What do you mean you are bat what? Forty years old. I don't understand. And believe me, I'm not trying to be hard on anybody or anything, but I'm saying it's only a couple weeks after Easter. Pastor, can't you give us a little break? Well, here's my point. We want resurrection power. We want resurrection, but we don't want a cross. Come on, church. We want resurrection power and to go out and we are, oh, we're we're saved and we're going out into this world, sanctified, delivered, we're gonna win win the world to Christ. We want that resurrection power, but that resurrection power comes with a price. Comes with a price. Jesus said if you're gonna follow me, he said you have to count the cost. Never forget this, because we're not a doom and gloom kind of church, right? We, we, want, we want you to be filled with that resurrection power. But and, and remember this, that suffering with Christ leads to the resurrection power. Mark chapter 10, it says this, Anything you give up to my, for my kingdom, anything that you give up, so there is some giving up, Mark chapter 10, anything you, you give up, the Lord says, I will return to you. And I'm not saying name it and claim it, this isn't prosperity, don't, don't, don't nail me to that. But he's saying this in the scripture, anything that you give up, I will return to you a hundredfold. There's always blessing in obedience, but there's an initial give up that sometimes hurts my present, but pays dividends in my future with resurrection power. And you know the enemy will try and get us to count, to, to count the cost of right now. The, the enemy, are, the devil, will try to get you to count the cost of your life right now, because the immediacy of obedience is not usually blessing. The immediate immediacy of obedience is usually persecution and misunderstanding. Anybody ever signed up for anything and, and committed to something to serve the Lord, and the, the enemy pressed in even harder? Usually the reward for immediate the immediate reward for obedience is persecution and misunderstanding. It's delayed gratification. It's the exact opposite of our culture. Our culture says you can have it all right now, and if you can't afford it, don't worry about it, just charge it. You can have it all right now. You don't have to wait for anything. But the kingdom is to be wise and to be patient. So there's this tension. And I promise you there's a tension. But the enemy will try to get you to see that the cost of following Christ, and he'll try to convince you that there is no cost in doing it his way. There's no cost in doing it the enemy's way or your own way. So this is what happened to the children of Israel in Numbers chapter 11. If you want to go over there, it's Numbers chapter 11. Uh, They said, you know what, Numbers 11, we remember the fish we used to eat For free in Egypt. For free? Another translation says that we used to eat this at no cost. No cost? Remember, they were in slavery 400 years. 400 years. Remember, for free? No cost. 400 years of humiliation. 400 years of sexual abuse. 400 years of physical abuse. 400 years of day and night work. Was it really for free? We had all the cucumbers and melons and leeks and garlic. We had all this stuff and it was so good and it was all for free. It was like an endless buffet. And if you're not careful, the devil will tell you that there, is, there was no cost. For doing the things your way before you gave your life to Christ. You don't believe me? There's a cost for following Christ. There's also a cost for doing it your own way or following the enemy's ways. There is a cost. And I won't go there on a Sunday morning, but our current sexual culture is built on what they called free love. Free love. No cost. But it's been incredibly costly. Let me just say that nothing is free. You have to count the cost. There is a cost to following Christ. Misunderstanding, persecution. But there is a huge cost to doing things your own way and doing things like the world. And it's far greater and it offers no resurrection power. But there's always a cost and this morning, friends, you just have to choose your cost. You have to choose your cost. There's a cost. There's a cost of success and a cost of laziness. There's, there's a cost. Both have a cost. There's a cost of living on a budget and a cost of living in debt. They both have a cost. There's a cost of being a big risk taker, a bold risk taker, and there's also a cost of living in fear. They're, they're, they both have a cost. There's a cost of submission, and there's a cost to rebellion. They both have a cost. I'm preaching y'all quiet this morning. There's a cost of staying married, and there's a cost of divorce. They both have a cost. Don't say it's cheaper to keep her. I heard you. I heard you. That's not the cost I'm talking about. Now, I'm not saying there's not a reason ever to get divorced. I understand there are biblical reasons for divorce. And there are abuse situations. And I get that. But I'm saying that every single marriage represented in this room is, has to count the cost. Every marriage goes through tough seasons and rough seasons and where they have to count the cost and go, I'm willing to pay the price to make this work over paying the price of separation and divorce. They're willing to count the cost. There's a cost of purity and there's a cost of lust and giving in to temptation. There's a cost. There's a cost of being generous, and there's a cost to greed. Like, I know, that, I know that giving costs you something. It costs you 10%. <laughs> but I know that the cost of you living in greed and fear of, of money and, and not trusting will cost you even more. That's why I boldly get up here over and over again and, 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 and bang this drum of generosity. You know, us as a church and us as a people. Because I know what it will cost if you live without trusting God in that area of your life. There's a cost of servanthood and a cost of selfishness. There's a cost of pride and a cost of humility. You just have to choose your cost. The Israelites would, have, would rather... They, if, if, if The cost of doing things God's way is so worth it. Because if they would have trusted God in the wilderness... There was a promised land waiting for them. And it was a promised land that flowed with milk and honey. And flowed and it was a promise to them. That's why it was called the promised land. God promised them this land. Just give me your obedience. There was a cost. 400 years. But they, used, they said we used to eat that for free. God said, I will, I'm going to give you houses you didn't build, wells you didn't dig, vineyards you didn't plant, and I'm going to bless you. Just trust me in the wilderness. Trust me through the persecution. Trust me through the misunderstanding because, you know, yeah, that's, a, that's easy for you to say, preacher. Trust you through all that. Now, trust me, I've been through some misunderstanding. I've been through, and so have you, some persecution. It wasn't, it wasn't an easy year leading up to me becoming the pastor of this church. The song, Do It Again, remember that song we used to sing a lot? It was my story throughout that whole year. Walking around these walls, I thought by now they would have fallen. Waiting, waiting for change to come, the song says. Knowing the battle's won, But your promise still stands, and great is your faithfulness. And we had to count the cost, and because we counted the cost throughout that, now we can live in resurrection power. It was so worth it to trust God in the wilderness so that we could experience the promised land and if you won't quit in the suffering there is resurrection power on the other side of whatever cross you bear so don't you dare give up this morning knowing Christ leads to resurrection power but most of us do not suffer for God. Most of us don't experience the resurrection power of God because we want to know about God and we don't really want to know God. But there is a greater way, Paul says, a better way. He says, I want to know Him. I want to know Christ. And number two, the second point is, your past is not the end. Paul says, I want to know Christ. In fact, in Philippians 3.13, he says this. Paul says, forgetting what lies behind. I don't consider something that I've made it my own, but I do one thing I do forgetting what lies behind me. Paul says, I have to forget. In other words, Paul puts in the practice, spiritual discipline of forgetting. It doesn't mean you leave, that it leaves your memory, but it means that it leaves your heart. You never forget totally, but forget to the point that it no longer dictates your decision. What Paul, what's Paul saying? Forgetting what lies behind. Some of you may see that as past shame. Past guilt. Past regrets. Past shame of of, of others. It might be past successes. Because we can get stuck in that season. And the devil says that that's the way it should be because that's the way it will always be. Because of your mistake because of your shame, because of your guilt, because of your mistakes in the past, you don't deserve a better life. That's the way it will always be. Or maybe it was really good, and it will never get better, right? We get stuck in that past season. And Paul says, I have to forget. I have to make the decision to lean into my future. He says, straining forward to what lies ahead. Paul says, I learn from the past, but I'm not mastered by my past. Maybe to put it better, our past is not our prognosis. Our past, your past, is not your prognosis. Good or bad, don't be limited by it. Blessing or pain, don't be limited by it. Great season or terrible season, don't be limited by it. Because if you're not careful, you will let one moment be the prognosis for your whole future. And you'll say, Well, this is what it's always be, this is what it'll always be, because this is what it's always been. When you know Christ, you ever speaking about your past. And you might pull your feet in a little bit, because I might step on some toes. But that's okay. Easy for me to say. You ever cleaned out your fridge or your pantry and found some food that's like way expired? Like way, way, way. And you just ate it last week? No. (laughs) What's this mustard was what? But some, I mean, you know, some people when... When, when the world was shutting down, some people bought some food up and want to store it away. And, and now it's time to sort of clean that stuff out and go through that stuff. And you look at it and it's like way, way, way expired. And see that, this, this food that would have been good for us in that season, it would have been great for you to eat that in that season. That can of tuna fish was great in that season. Let's mix it up and let's eat it. But I'm not touching any tuna fish that's one day past that expiration date on that can. This is hitting home for some of you. I can feel it. But in one season, that that food would have been so nourishing, it would have brought you nourishment and health. But now that it's expired, it would actually bring on sickness in your life. Because you have to know the expiration date of your past how do I know, Pastor? How do I know the expiration date is past? Well, because it's past. If it's your past, it's past. So stop eating from something in your past because it's making your soul sick. It's expired. Be done with that thing. And when you find all that expired food, right, and then you're like, how many? I mean, there's a, there's a good bit here for some of you. And it's a little emotionally painful, a little bit embarrassing that you got to throw away all this food because it's kind of like a waste and you feel like bad stewards. But you know what? You're like, hey, you know what? I'm not going to get sick over that stuff. And sometimes we can actually be embarrassed by forgetting our past because we kind of feel, feel that shame and we feel like, okay, i got to move on, but you got to throw it in the trash because it does not make you better. And keeping it doesn't make you healthier. Keeping it will actually make you sick. So the food was good, but it's no longer good. In the same way, your past, you may have some great memories, and it may have taught you some good things, but it can't become the prediction of everything in your life. Your past is a teacher, not a master. My past is an instructor, and I can learn from things in the past, good and bad, but it's not my Lord. Isaiah chapter 43 Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. Literally don't dwell. Don't live in. Dwell. Where do you dwell? That's where you live. Don't live in the past. Don't build a house in the past. Don't live there now. Now the former things, right? The first, the first three rules of biblical interpretation. Help me out. Three of you were paying attention. That's okay. Context, context, context. What's He talking about? The former things. Well, God went through the first 17 verses of Isaiah, says, the way that He delivered them. And all the ways that He had set them free and all the great things that He did. And then He goes, okay, but don't live there. Because if you're not careful, you'll get stuck in a past victory. And you'll have no strength for today. Because you'll keep keep talking about the good old days. And you know, the devil's going to rob you of any hope that you have if you keep dwelling in the past. Keep on dwelling on those good old days. Remember when. And it just isn't like that anymore. And you know, the devil will rob you of your hope if you get a gleam in your eye or a skip in your step when you only talk about the good old days. Man, when, man, back when it was good. You give the devil that that advantage, he will steal that hope from you. Paul says, I have to forget. i got to erase it from my memory. I can't erase it totally but I can actually I can uproot it from my heart it doesn't have to be my lord and so you can too. It's an ongoing thing. You have to embrace your present and not hang on to the past. And thirdly your future is bright. And this isn't some kind of prosperity. Everything's going to be coming up. Rainbows, unicorns, and and all of that's going to be good. Chocolate chip cookies are in your future. And we're cautious to look at this and say, you know what? When Paul says, I press onward toward the prize. So there's something in the future that we have to look forward to. And it may not be the immediate future. And boy, I'll I'll tell you, the last two years, it, it makes it difficult to say amen to this. I know that because i just counted your future is bright i don't know how many times i just said it but no one said amen it's hard to say amen to this because of what we've all been through yeah but pastor what about I'm, yeah you can say that but what about and, and but but i the you know, last two and i don't, you don't know the things and, and you know and here's what paul says And we'll we'll lose our excitement for all this future unless we read the scriptures. What Paul says in prison, under house arrest, Paul is bound in chains. And Paul says, I'm pressing on. I am pressing on. Paul says, I am leaning in. I am straining towards. Paul, Paul says, I am excited about where God is about to take my life. And he's in prison, under house arrest, in chains. And we would look at Paul and go, Paul, you're in jail, brother. What could you do in jail? Pastor, don't tell me to be excited and tell me my future is bright. Because, you know, there's wars going on in Europe. And we, and we got the COVID ain't over. And we got gas prices. And we got the economy. and we got. Don't tell me to be excited. All I see on the news is bad news. And, 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 but I can tell you this morning, church, if you'll listen to me. And by the authority of God's word that Paul is in prison, going, I am leaning in. Better days, Paul says, are in front of me. God is working. God is moving. Folks, remember, as Jesus followers, if you, if you follow Christ, if you're a Christian in this room this morning, we are a people of hope. At least we're supposed to be. Do you walk around like as a person of hope with resurrection power? Or do you walk around with the rest of the world thinking, yeah, you're right, it is bad. It's bad out there. Folks, we have Christ, the hope of the world. We have we're the people who have resurrection power. We're the people of tomorrow, we're the people of hope. Paul would go on and write the book of Philemon, the book of 2 Thessalonians, the book of Colossians, Ephesians, 1 and 2 Timothy, Titus, and most likely Hebrews. After he was imprisoned. You know what? Paul didn't let this, let, let, let this moment in time steal his future and rob him of his hope. And this moment in time right now will not steal our future either. I'm going to close with this. According to the New England Journal of Medicine, they found, and then Paul was on in his years, right? When he was, I mean, Paul was way on in his years when he was, uh, was pending those future, future letters uh, to, to Thessalonica and Lossi and Ephesians and all of this. And Paul... Paul was on his years and he said, you know what? The best is still in front of me. According to the New England Journal of Medicine, they found that the decade of your life where you are most productive, y'all ready for this? The decade of your life where you are most productive is between 60 and 70 years old. That's what the New England Journal says. Turn up, sis. I'm not going to ask you your age. But the second most productive decade of your life is 70 to 80. And the third, you think you're being productive now. You're just active. You're just busy. You're just tired. And you're living in a fog because you got, you got toddlers running around your feet and you, got, you think you're being productive. You're just active. You're just going through the motions, trying to get through another day. But are you really being productive? Not to, According to the New England Journal of Medicine. The majority of pastors who pastor the largest churches in the world are all over 60 years old. The majority. The average age of a Nobel Peace Prize winner is 62. Pastor, why are you talking about this? Because I want you to know that your future is bright. Your future is bright. Paul says, I press on. Right here. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. I truly believe with everything in me, there are people in this room right now, And I don't care if you're 14 or 114. There are people in this room right now that are being called by God into full-time ministry. You just haven't surrendered. I know it. There are people in this room who are being called by God to serve Him with their life. Will you respond? Will you respond? respond we are all called called into a life of hope called into a life with a bright future regardless and despite what it looks like right now paul says i press on you think paul didn't have it a little rough with the chains around his feet and being house arrest under in one room We think these biblical characters are just that, just characters. Paul was a real person in real house arrest for following Christ, not allowed to leave, (laughs) in prison. And he said, You know what? I press on. I press on toward the prize. Paul went on to write all those letters to you and me and to the church. We're all called. And it gets back to what I said in the beginning. Would you stand? It gets back to what I said in the beginning. Which button are you going to hit? Which button are you going to hit when God calls? Because God is calling you, and I believe with the, I mean, with everything that's in me, that God is calling some of you to serve Him with your life. He's calling you to me. You think oh, I got it figured out? No, Pastor, this is my this is my trajectory. This is where I've been for twenty years. This is how it's always been. God is calling you. You know it because I know it because I, stand, I stood where you stand. God called me into ministry in a later part of my life and He could call and speak to you as well. You don't have to be some college kid who's trying to figure out what their call is. You could be 45, 55 years old and God says, I'm calling you and I guess which button are you going to push? Remind me later, God. God. Message, I can't talk right now. Busy. God, you don't know that would be an extremely hard interruption in my life. I, I can't. Or will you just plain hit the decline button and say no? You could say no for as long as you'd like. God will never force himself upon you. But if you know God is calling you, and you know, and, and, and you know, because I know that feeling. I know when God speaks. And you hear him. I know it. God is calling you into something greater. You know He is. Will you respond? Would you bow your heads with me? Father, in, in true obedience, God, we open our hearts and our minds right now and ask God that you would speak. And Lord, we ask that through the Holy Spirit, We ask, God, what are you saying to me? And God, we ask that you would speak through your Holy Spirit to your servants gathered in this room, watching online, whatever it is. But God, I know there are those here wrestling with the call to ministry. Wrestling with the call to serve in some capacity in your house. Wrestling, Lord, with the call to surrender their life to You. So, Father, whatever that looks like, Father, might we stand before You this morning and count the cost. Count the cost of what it's costing us to not serve You. What it's costing us, Lord, to hit that decline button when You speak. But God, might we also count the cost of following you. And know, Lord, that the Apostle Paul's words ring true in our heart, that no matter what, despite our circumstances, Lord, we want to know you in the power of your resurrection, and we will go through whatever we need to go through to get that resurrection power in our lives. We will know you in your sufferings of misunderstanding and persecution, in order that we would live in this resurrection life on the other side of the cross. And because we have been given that resurrection power, Father, we want to serve You with our life. You give us that power, not to to serve the enemy or to serve ourselves, but God, You give us that resurrection power so that we would serve You. Father, I pray You would give us the strength, the knowledge to serve You, Lord, with our whole heart. And Father, as we're gathered here this morning in this group, in this local church, in Your house, Father, I wonder if some people are dealing with this call in their life. Father, I wonder if there is someone in our midst who senses the call, Your call, into ministry even now. God, you have provided all kinds of resources, Lord. You've, you've blessed our lives with all sorts of ways to gain knowledge and understanding and, and all of that, God. But it all starts by a person answering the call. And I wonder, Lord, if there's anyone who has sensed that call in their life, the upward call of God to serve you in ministry. So Father with heads bowed and eyes closed before you in full submission. I would ask this room if there is anyone that has ever sensed the call of God to enter into a life of servanthood in ministry. Serving Him in ministry, in Christian ministry. Whether it is a missionary or a pastor or an evangelist or a preacher or whatever it is. God will bring people from our midst. And I would ask if you would surrender yourself and your heart to Him this morning. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm not going to embarrass you, but I want to to pray for you, I want to encourage you, I want to bring you along, I want to do do everything that I can that God would give me the strength to do to help you in that. And if God has called you into some form of ministry this morning and you sense that and you know it, With nobody's looking around, I would just ask that you would slip your hand up and say, Pastor, I need to answer that call. I've been wrestling with it. I know it's here, and I know I need to answer it. I don't want to leave here the same as I came in. Pastor, that's me. Don't fight that call anymore. Answer the call of God. It'll be a blessing to you. You have resurrection power to get through it. I would ask that you just slip your hand up and you raise your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me as I'm being led into ministry and and.'" and and called to the upward calling of God if God's working on your heart let me know pray for you amen if there are those here among us where we're taking this precious moment here and we're saying you know what I'm I'm going to serve the Lord with all of my heart I know that I'm called and I know that it's not full time ministry but I'm ready to get involved I'm ready to be a part of what God is doing in this local body I'll pray for you as well. If you would just slip your hand up and say, I'm I'm ready to serve. I'm ready to serve. I'm ready to put my, my, I'm ready to go all in. Amen. Praise the Lord. Anybody else? Father, you know the people that have committed with their hearts and are answering, Lord, your call. The upward call of God. I thank you, Lord, for each of us who have, surrendered our lives and surrendered to you Lord in one way or another (laughs) whether it's through uh, just for salvation or whether it's a deeper call Lord towards service after whatever that is Lord I pray Lord that you would bless each person that has had the courage to surrender their life to the calling of Jesus Christ I thank you Lord for going on ahead of us and preparing the way and Lord softening hearts that would answer that call Father, would you minister to us now as we leave this place? May we not depart from your presence. And God, I pray again, I lift Randy before you. It doesn't seem the same without him playing in the background. So, Father, be with Randy as he's going through what he's going through. Help us to minister to him and to pray for him and to go go across the miles, Lord, and, and visit and lift him up in prayer and just keep him in the forefront of our thoughts, Lord. I thank you, Lord, in advance for what you're about to do. In Jesus precious name, amen, amen. before you go, uh, I, will, I will I am reminded I see my brother Sean and Braden, and Leah is not there. Leah is in the back serving. She asked me to make an announcement that I forgot about, so if you all are serious about this serving thing um, and you feel the call of God, we do need a few more people uh, to sign up for uh, a working in our children's department. So we have a few openings on the sheet in the back, I think, for the, uh, to sign up. So if you would look back there, if God lays that on your heart, it's really not hard. Like I said, it's just goldfish. and you, No, it's not really. But I didn't want to dismiss us all without that announcement. So if you're feeling so led, the uh, sheet's in the back on the Welcome Center. God bless you.